Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with people that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. My guest today is Michael Gaida. He's a licensed acupuncturist and one of the most knowledgeable people I know in the area of clinical nutrition and clinical herbology. And as you listen to the conversation today, pay careful attention to Michael's focus on the power of purpose. Also, pay attention to his own journey coming from depression and finding his passion in his field of service. He also has some very interesting comments about the potential dangers of synthetic vitamins and isolated antioxidants. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my powerful conversation with Michael Gaida. Welcome, friends. I'm here with my colleague and my friend, Michael Gaeta. I hope I didn't botch that too badly, Michael. That's fine. <laughs> okay. And uh, I'm very excited to be here with Michael today because Michael is one of the most knowledgeable people I know in the area of clinical nutrition. Um, he has a particular passion for education and teaching and for empowering healthcare professionals. And uh, looking forward to getting into a lot of interesting, meaty topics. But before we get into that, I want to share with you uh, his biography that he sent to me, and I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll bring Michael into the conversation. So here we go. Dr. Michael Gaeta is a visionary educator, clinician, and writer in the field of natural health care. His purpose is to create a world of vital, resilient people who find fulfillment through positive contribution and stay out of the medical system. Michael works with natural health professionals who want to improve their patient care and practice success through his one-year clinician's mentoring program, live seminars and webinars, and distance learning programs. He holds licenses in acupuncture, dietetics, nutrition, and massage therapy, and is a doctor of acupuncture in Rhode Island. Michael earned his master's degree in acupuncture from the New York College of Health Professions, where he was a faculty member for 10 years. Michael's teaching is informed by 25 years of successful clinical practice in his New York and Colorado clinics, helping thousands of patients improve their well-being, prevent illness, and choose a lifestyle of nature first, drugs last. He co-founded Acupuncture for Veterans, which provided free treatments in New York City. Michael is past president of the Acupuncture Society of New York, earning awards for State Association President and State Association of the Year. He appeared on the CBS Early Show and NBC News 
and has trained thousands of clinicians in his success with natural medicine clinical seminars since January 2001 and his love, serve, and succeed business and ethics seminars since 1996. In four years, his wellness radio show on Contact Talk Radio attracted over 100,000 subscribers. He loves to debunk popular myths regarding food quality, vaccines, cholesterol, antioxidant vitamins, and chronic illness. Michael is also a pianist and a composer. With his partner, Richard Schmidt, he launched the first online video education service for standard process clinicians and their patients at www.expertnutritionadvisor.com in September of 2014. Useful ideas and resources can be accessed at michaelgaeta.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-E-T-A.com, and at nutritionforacupuncturist.com. So welcome, Michael. Uh, welcome to the conversation. Thanks so much, David. It's, uh, I've been looking forward to this time, and uh, good to be together today. Great. So um, as I'd mentioned before, um, Michael's one of the most knowledgeable people I know about clinical nutrition, and his knowledge uh, blends both his uh, vast uh, academic knowledge in the field, but also uh, many, many tens of thousands of uh, patient and client visits. So uh, he really knows what he's talking about. And uh, before we get into some specific questions and topics that I'm really excited to get into, let me turn the conversation over to you for a while so that you can introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, let them know a little bit about you and your journey and how you got to where you are. Thanks, David. And I uh, really appreciate the work you're doing as well uh, in, in bringing uh, a, a level of consciousness to, uh, to people, uh, to, to patients, other practitioners, the public, uh, which is uh, perhaps a larger perspective than they had, uh, had before. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I've uh, really been looking forward to this time today. Um, my, um, my own journey began when I was uh, fairly young uh, and had uh, uh, went through a fairly dark time of depression and uh, even contemplated suicide um, on more than one occasion because I was in a very dark place. And, um, and my sense of self-worth, self-esteem wasn't that good. And uh, thanks to mentors and books that you know, helped pull me through that, um, I made a conscious decision. Either I was going to um, check out, so to speak, and uh, leave this sphere of things, or I was really going to go for it in my life. I was really going to you know, live a life as full as I could and make as significant a contribution I could in the world. So I was faced with that decision, you know, check out or go for it and, and make a difference in a positive way in the world. And, and uh, I'm happy to say I chose the latter. And, uh, and, but that going through that fairly difficult experience, a very dark time, uh, made me appreciate 
uh, life in, a, in an expanded way, uh, the gift of life, the opportunity that life presents every day, and um, and and the the real magic of living that's available to us at all times, and and how much of a of a blessing that we can be for each other if we let it be so. So I am um, I'm a musician. That was my first career uh, in uh, for ten years. Um, and overlapping with the early years of my practice. I love using my hands to help people. Uh, so I went from music to initially to massage therapy. That was my first health profession. Uh, and then continued my education and to study nutrition and herbal medicine and acupuncture and, uh, and more advanced studies in Chinese medicine. And I've had wonderful mentors over the years in the field of Chinese medicine and nutrition. And started my practice. Uh, I'll be um, celebrating my 25th anniversary in practice uh, this month. Uh, this is uh, May of 2015. And uh, I've just been so blessed to have been healed by my patients over the years uh, and to be able to walk with them and to heal each other, uh, going through a, uh, cycles of healing and renewal and challenge and uh, and, and, and having a, an expanded experience of life. And, and uh, I'm so thankful to my patients for letting me help them live in love more fully and them helping me live in love more fully and to come more fully into life and to reveal more of, I think, the innate stature and largeness that we each have. So uh, while I was in massage school uh, back in 89, I started to, uh, I was exposed to Chinese medicine for the first time. And I really fell in love with it and, and went on to advanced studies in Asian body work and acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine and, and really, you know, developed uh, an enduring passion for uh, Asian medicine, East Asian medicine, Chinese medicine, and this kind of uh, approach to medicine, which sees the person not just as a body, but as a being uh, that has physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects to themselves. And, uh, and, and, and having an, an essential perspective of the, not just the human, but the being part, the, the physical, but also the spiritual part of a person is innately in the, in the DNA, in the fabric of Chinese medicine. And that really attracted me because I had had a, a spiritual path that started, you know, the day I decided not to do myself in, uh, I began me walking on a, a, a very, very dedicated, I would say, not easy, but a very dedicated spiritual path. Um, and, and so I, I wanted to find an approach to healing that had a, an inherently spiritual um, backing to it or perspective that was woven into it. And so this, this so Chinese medicine was a really natural fit for me. At the same time, I had a, a whole range of health problems, uh, I think stemming from my childhood vaccinations, which weren't you know nearly as much as they are given today, uh, combined with eating a pretty terrible diet for a lot of years in my childhood and uh, teenage years. So I healed over the course of my education at school at uh, the New York College of Health Professions in Long Island, New York. I um, it was part of the training that you had to do Tai Chi, you had to work on yourself, your emotional, spiritual development, doing your inner work. And you had to clean up your diet. That was just part of the training. It was very, very like do as I do 
kind of approach, which I think is um, foundational to the holistic approach is that do as I do, be an example to your, for your patients, um, show them what's possible, at least in some way. And so there's a heavy emphasis on being healthy yourself, cleaning up your own act. And my act was not good. Uh, very little exercise and a whole lot of junk food and sugar. So I, I, I overcame a lot of health problems, digestive issues and immune problems, getting sick a lot from changing my diet. And that, that, that inspired in me a, a real passion for nutrition and what, what nutrition can do to change someone's life. And that, that has become actually the predominant focus of my life in recent years has been uh, using nutrition and herbal medicine as uh, part of a, a way a person can know a level of vitality, of resilience, uh, of well-being that helps people uh, boldly make their contribution in the world. And that's really the, that's really my life purpose, uh, is to open people to the largeness of who they are and help them into an experience that uh, of, of well-being, uh, of vitality, of resilience, where they can boldly make their contribution, their courageous contribution in the world, which is really my, my uh, deepest desire is to help open people to that sense of purpose and passion and fulfillment uh, that only comes from contribution. And uh, so I've really been guided by this basic principle that I, I didn't articulate it that way when I was young, when I went through that dark time. But that uh, it's really come clear to me, David, that and I know you, you come from this place as well, and I, and I so enjoy reading your writings uh, that you publish regularly online, um, that the purpose of human life is contribution. And, and if I can make my positive contribution is, is great, but if I can inspire others to make theirs and to have a quality of life and a vitality, resilience, a sense of well-being that allows them to make that contribution more boldly and courageously in the world, then, uh, then I've had a good day or a good week or whatever it was. So, uh, so now you know, I've uh, practiced full-time for 19 years in New York. Uh, I moved to Colorado six years ago, uh, currently live in Boulder, and now I'm, I've flipped since moving to Colorado from full-time practice to part-time practice, from part-time teaching to full-time teaching. And so that's really my passion these days. Uh, I just got back from Nashville, Tennessee, last night and uh, had a wonderful weekend with a group of 70 practitioners there. And, uh, and that's just what I really love is, is spending time with my colleagues in the natural healing arts and help them come to a sense of uh, well-being and confidence and, and passion with their work and give them real tools that, that can improve their patient care and their practice success so that they can make their contribution in the world and, and help thousands of people that I'll never meet. That's very exciting to me. Uh, it's like I, can, I can make one doctor a better doctor, uh, one practitioner a better practitioner, then, then that will serve you know, thousands of people who I'll never meet through them. You know, so I always see myself as not speaking so much to a room of practitioners, but through them uh, into the world. Just like if I'm with a patient in the treatment room, I'm not just speaking to them, but through them uh, into the, the larger world of which we're all part. So, uh, so that's um, you know uh, a few things about you know my uh, my journey. I, I, I can say I am my my predominant uh, attitude is one of thankfulness. 
when I think about how blessed I am to not only have you know survived that dark time you know many years ago, but to have been so blessed to have such uh, incredible mentors that have I feel like I stand on their shoulders in a very real sense, uh, and then seek to help others on their path. But I, I just feel so thankful um, to have come uh, this far uh, from you know the brink of you know checking out uh, to really. Um, being feeling very privileged and honored to be able to um, help uh, patients and practitioners uh, open more fully to the largeness of who they are, uh, to the greatness of their purpose in living, and to the enormity of their power to create, which I, I, we all have. Um, and so uh, I'm just very thankful uh, for the, uh, the blessings I've received, the mentors I've had, and for the opportunity that I have every week um, to, to change lives for the better and help people uh, make their contribution in the world and, and, and aiming for drug-free and uh, staying out of the medical system uh, and taking care of themselves in a natural way. So, um, so anyway, thank you for the question and, uh, and I'm uh, you know, glad to share a thumbnail of, uh, of what's brought me here and uh, just my my place of joy and my place of thankfulness uh, for for what is present today. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. I, I really hear you. Um, would you talk a little bit more about maybe maybe two or three of your main mentors, either in the nutritional herbal field or in the spiritual area that have had the biggest impact on how you show up in the world today? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a great question, David. Uh, uh, the challenge is to narrow it down in two or three, uh, but I, I think I can with the caveat that there are many others. Um, you know, I've had about a dozen uh, mentors in my personal development that I I, uh, I give thanks for regularly, uh, but uh, yeah, I would point to um, I would point to two in particular uh, on the personal development, spiritual growth, opening you know uh, to the to who I am and and my purpose and living. Uh, one was uh, my um, a guidance counselor in high school, Brother Ronald Marcelin. I went to a uh, all-boy Catholic high school in Queens, New York, Archbishop Malloy. Wonderful place, wonderful school. And uh, I came into high school in a very dark, this is part of that dark time. And um, uh, that's several years, which was, was quite, quite difficult for me. Um, and, um, and he was, uh, other than my, my father, uh, you know, who was you know, certainly an example in many ways, this is who I would identify as my first mentor who taught me that I had inherent value and that I wasn't, you know, as he liked to say, God doesn't make junk uh, and, um, and that you're, you're worthwhile as a person innately. And, um, and so his, his, one of his mottos, which we uh, put on a poster at his funeral, was um, be kind and laugh a lot. And, uh, and then his, the other part to that was, uh, and always know where to get a good slice of pizza. Uh, he was a very, uh, he was a man who really loved life and loved people. And, 
and he was uh, initially a teacher and mentor, and then we became very dear friends. And uh, so I, I would say for sure he was a pivotal uh, mentor for me and, and helping pull me through that dark time. He turned me on to very, you know, new ideas and new thought, Edgar Casey and Course in Miracles and, um, and Eastern spirituality and Alan Watts and Zen Buddhism. And, you know, here was this Catholic brother um, in a religious order of educators uh, who opened me to these, all these kind of, you know, sort of new thought, new age, uh, open consciousness, Eastern spirituality, you know, new thought kind of ideas, which were very new to me. And I really devoured it. And, uh, and he introduced me to someone who, who became uh, my second mentor, uh, which was Marian Williamson, who many people know is a famous author and speaker. But I had the privilege of working for her for three years while she gave lectures in New York for many years, uh, once or twice a month. And uh, Marianne, uh, I, I worked for her before she was world famous, before her first book came out, Return to Love. She was a very popular Course in Miracles lecturer. And that's the stage of her career when I knew her and worked for her from 89 to 92. And, uh, and, and Marianne really was uh, a mentor for me as well in showing me that a person who, who could be very successful and also very generous and very kind and very benevolent. You know, I had uh, some bad programming in me that you know, rich people sucked kind of thing. And, uh, and so I had a judgment about that. And so here's this very successful person helping thousands of people open to the largest of who they are, their purpose in living, uh, who was very kind, very generous. And, uh, and, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with her. She came once or twice a month for those three years. But uh, those those moments with her, and you know, she'd take the staff out to lunch, and you know, I just saw how how kind and generous uh, a person could be who was helping people and successful. So that opens a possibility for me of being very successful in the world, being very kind and generous, making a difference, helping thousands of people. Uh, and and the third thing was she was the person who inspired me to become a speaker myself. It took many years before that actually manifested, but I, I remember sitting um, at the at, at right uh, in front of her podium one day at the church where she spoke at. Um, and she, we rented out a church once or twice a month, and I remember I was my job was to run the microphone during the question and answer session, among other things that I did. But uh, so I, I, my job was to hold the microphone you know, be on the floor level and she was up on the lectern and then she would, you know, look down and say, okay, Michael, you know, go, go answer, go get, you know, people have questions, go run the mic to them. And I was, just, I was on the track team in high school, so I was pretty quick and she expected me to be very quick, like, okay, hurry up. So people, people waiting. But I remember I sat there, you know, month after month, looking up at her speaking, a deep flow of spirit coming through her. And I said, I can do that. I can do that. And not only that, I want to do that. I'm meant to do that. I'm called to do that. Uh, and it took you know, many years for that to manifest into me, you know, becoming a, a you know, actually a professional speaker. But, uh, but that was, that was uh, her inspiration as well as her mentoring and really embodying an example uh, to me. So those are two I would mention on the personal development side. There are many, many others in the years that followed, but those were my first two um, that I would uh, I would point to.
and uh, with with no less respect and appreciation for the the other ten uh, who followed in the years you know since uh, ninety two, uh, and then in the in the field of healing, um, I, I would certainly point to my um, my uh, teachers in in body work um, and Asian body work who really called me to grow as a person, to 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 raise my level of integrity, of honesty, of discipline. Um, Faye Shankman, Annika Young were, were my two teachers uh, in in Asian body work school, studying omotherapy, uh, and uh, so they were very powerful for me, as well as my uh, acupuncture teacher, uh, Chi Tzu, uh, or Chi Chao, who was my acupuncture teacher in school, uh, who really um, made a change my life when she said, first night of acupuncture school, she said, in Chinese medicine, mostly we treat the spirit. And that's just, I, I started crying. I said, that's what I've been waiting for, is that perspective. As mostly we treat the spirit. I said, wow. So, uh, so those are a couple of folks in, in the early years. And more recently, um, you know, my, my nutrition mentor for the past uh, 19 years has been Joseph Antel, uh, who's, uh, you know, been in the field of nutrition for 43 years and has helped, you know, thousands of people and practitioners. He's a dear friend and mentor. And, uh, you know, in the field of nutrition and standard process and whole food nutrition and, and just, um, you know, and also, you know, uh, a mentor in other ways in terms of, you know, healing and, uh, and, and living a life which is spirit led and spirit guided and, and, and spirit expressed. Uh, so he, he certainly embodies that as well. So those are, you know, more than two or three, but a few I would mention. How do you spell his last name? Uh, A-N-T-E-L-L. Uh, he, uh, he moved from the East Coast to Colorado uh, four or five years before I did. And uh, so we, we, we live pretty, we live about an hour away from each other and see each other regularly. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I know I got a lot out of that, and I'm sure the listeners did too. So yeah. I'd like to segue into kind of a new part of the podcast into a new part of the conversation Great. where we begin to address health care, at least health care in America. Yes. And uh, I think you and I have been health care professionals for a similar period of time. I've sure. been a doctor for 27 and a half years now. Mm. And I've been in the healing arts before that for quite a while as well. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I've talked about this on the podcast series before, is that it's a lot more challenging to help Americans uh, get really healthy now than it was when I was just starting out in practice as a young mm -hmm. doctor. Uh, the stress levels are higher. The toxicity levels are higher. Yeah. The food quality is lower, the vaccination assault is worse, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I know and I know it takes a lot of courage as a healthcare practitioner to be willing to take on the truth about the current state of affairs with regard to health and well being in the United yes. States without becoming depressed oneself or or becoming bitter yes. 
yes. or going into judgment or just wanting to take the easy way out and yes. give patients what they think they want. Mm. And so um, that's a whole area yes. that we can get into. And I think uh, tangential to that is the whole topic of how doctors and healthcare professionals are trained Yes, because there's the information part of it, and then there's the experience part of it, yes. and then there's what people are being, mm. that part of it as well. So, you know, as I, I kind of consider myself a practical visionary, so yes. I, I take a look at, okay, what's point A, what's point B where we want to go, and what are some elements of the critical path to get from point A to point B. And I think it would be a lot easier if we were starting out with our patients with a blank slate in terms of their, um, in terms of their belief systems. But uh, as you know, there's many, many billions of dollars spent every year to condition the consciousness of the healthcare consumer in such a way that they're actually disempowered. Mm. And um, one of the things that I would like to bring out in this conversation are your thoughts and ideas and what actions you're taking to make it easier for yourself and other healthcare practitioners to take on this ch- this daunting challenge of um, actually powerfully educating their patients and potential patients about the truth about the laws of health, while at the same time uh, making a decent living to be able to support themselves and their families. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I would love to, David. That's a, what a meaty topic. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a lot there. Thank you for opening up such a rich uh, territory uh, or a, a rich and deep pool to swim around in. And, um, and yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. You know, when, as, you, as you know, as those of us who uh, have seen some of the truth and lies of, of healthcare uh, know that it can get pretty depressing when um, you know you look at uh, the rights of Americans to uh, refuse vaccinations is is seeking to be taken away. It can get depressing. You know, uh, they can get a sense of like, wow, you know, we have these massive evil corporations that control the government and setting policy uh, through the government uh, that's, you know, affecting all of us. So I want to first say that that I am very uh, hopeful, um, first of all, uh, and that um, evil eventually destroys itself because it's not connected to life. And life is the source of all all things, of all, of, of creation. So anything disconnected from the life current is will destroy itself at some point and uh, as Martin Luther King Jr. said um, the moral arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice 
And so a lot of the injustice and lies and propaganda that people are being, you know, covered with every day uh, is, you know, is, is awful. And there's a larger cycle, and I so appreciate your writings on this um, in, in recent times, um, that there is a, a global uh, force at work, which is larger than any of us and larger than any nefarious efforts to, you know, subdue the population and take away their freedom, which is at least happening in the field of healthcare. Um, but, um, but there's a, something bigger going on, which is a cycle uh, you've, you've written about, uh, of awakening, of transformation, of coming together, of, of, becoming more conscious of who we are and our, and our power to guide our destiny and choose our destiny as people individually and collectively, that uh, all things are coming towards a greater experience of oneness and freedom. Uh, and so it may seem bleak at times, and it does to me, and, I'm, and I feel the pain of, you know, the, the enormity of the task at hand and, and those lost battles that happen from time to time. And, uh, but I'm also aware of a much larger cycle, which is absolutely inevitable, inexorable, and can never be turned aside because it is the, it is the rising current or power of life itself increasing through humanity, uh, which nothing can stop. And, and so I, as, as concerned as I am about what's happening, uh, related to personal freedoms being taken away, especially in the United States, but elsewhere. Um, and, and the oppression of, you know, the, the medical, pharmaceutical, industrial um, complex, so to speak, um, of the encroaching feeling of that. Uh, I'm also very aware of a larger cycle of integration um, of, of things coming together in an inexorable way. So, so with that, um, I would, um, well, maybe David, you can, that, those are just my initial thoughts, but what Pete, you opened up a lot of different areas in your, in your questions, which are just so wonderful. What of that did you want to maybe explore next uh, out of those things? Like what's kind of up for you? <laughs> um, let's talk about your thoughts and the work you're doing to empower patients and people who work with patients yeah. to establish um, uh, a foundation of understanding about health and about mm. the doctor-patient relationship that yeah. allows for the possibility of real success. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So the I, I agree with you. It, it, it is harder these days since you and I started practicing back along the way. It is a little harder for sure because the more genetically modified foods, processed refined foods, radiation exposure, man-made radiation exposure, chemical toxicity, um, you know, tripling the vaccine schedule, uh, all of these things are making it harder for people to know a sense of vitality and well-being. And at the same time, I've also observed, and I'm sure you have too, from when you and I started practicing back in the day, that more people are aware of what's possible 
more people are seeking natural solutions. More people are interested in a drug-free approach. More people are aware increasingly of the, limit, of the limitations of crisis-based medicine. Uh, more people are uh, taking responsibility for their own health and not just leaving it all in the hands of the, of the doctor, uh, the, of their physician. So we've got greater challenges and greater opportunities, and I would say a greater openness. So where, where I go with that, Dave, so that would be you know, something I've observed as a, another hopeful thing. But or in addition to that, I would say that the basis of success in a, a, a practitioner-patient relationship is ultimately stems from the uh, the cultivation of virtue and the spiritual development of the practitioner. Uh, Gandhi famously said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. And I would extend that into the health field that we must be the change we wish to see in our patients. So I think you know, one of my mentors, uh, a brilliant uh, mentor and teacher, David Lesser, who I worked with for four years as a spiritual uh, mentor and business coach, he, uh, he taught me one day on one of our calls, he said, you know, 99% of the effects you have in the world are the, are the work you do on yourself. Your inner work is your greatest point of leverage for creating change in the world, that, that we literally change the world from the inside out. So, on, on a, so that's a perspective. And I think on a practical basis, uh, like very specifics, um, to, to look at some specifics, I think, uh, a, a practitioner inspiring a sense of hope of what's possible, of open opening a person to what's possible, uh, is is, a, is is very important. For example, I had a patient come in one day, 64-year-old female suffering with a whole range of ailments, uh, from inflammatory bowel disease to pretty serious back pain, uh, headaches, fatigue, uh, a lot of different things going on, you know, pretty major digestive problems, pretty major musculoskeletal pain. And, and she was taking a whole pile of medications and was really feeling like hopeless because she just kept getting worse. Even though the drugs helped some symptoms, they created others. She just felt she was on a downward spiral. And the doctors, when she went her doctors, she had a pile of those, um, just kept adding more medications. And she said, that's all they have. And I'm really, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm headed towards dying uh, at, this at this trajectory. And, and I said, I'm so glad you're here because now we can change that trajectory in a positive direction. If you got in, you can get out. Whatever brought you to this place, here we are. And here's an opportunity to change things in a positive direction. And so I, I want you to, I encourage you to feel hopeful that the future can be unlike the past. That if we change what we're doing now, we can, you can create a future for yourself just different than the past. Instead of headed down, you can head up. And, and let's try. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's engage in a process of helping your body heal itself, helping awaken your own healing capacity. Let's do this for two months. Let's see how you're doing in two months. And two months later, you know, almost all of her medications were gone. She felt better than she had in years. And she had a sense of possibility.
going into that initial cycle of two months. She said, okay, I'm, I'm going to just, you know, fake it till I make it. I'm going to, I'm just going to have a sense that there's something else possible for me other than this downward spiral that I've been on for the past 10 years. I'm going to entertain the possibility of a future unlike the past. And so in, encouraging a sense of hope uh, and, and, a, and a better future that's possible for them is really important. I find essential. And one other practical thing, one of my favorite questions for patients, particularly starting to work with people, uh, new patients that I'm starting to work with, one of my favorite questions, David, is who else will benefit other than you? Who else will benefit if you get better? If you experience an experience of healing, of greater uh, quality of life, uh, who else will benefit if you address these issues that you're working on, if these things improve, um, if you get better in some way, who else will benefit other than you? And what a powerful question this is because it activates our shared innate capacity and calling to serve that each, each human being has. We all have deep inside, some deep, some is deep, very deep, some it's right there in their daily experience. All of us have an innate calling to serve, to contribute. We know that's why we're put on earth, is to, is to make a contribution. And so when you call on that deep reservoir of purpose, uh, so that, you know, when, the, when it's time to, hey, time to get rid of that Diet Coke and those, you know, bagels and, you know, coffee that you're having every day for breakfast and change your diet and start to exercise and start to heal your relationships and start to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. Um, what's going to get you the energy, the desire, is, is the desire to do that. That's going to come from if you understand why you're doing it. If you have a purpose for doing that, which is bigger than you. I remember a woman came in who was diagnosed with colon cancer, and she came in. She said, "Look, I'm going to I'm going to go have the surgery. Is there something we can do to make my body stronger? Because I've been going downhill for years, and I know, you know, going through this surgery, and you know, she said, I'm not going to do any of that chemo stuff, but and the radiation that they may suggest, but I, I am going to have surgery to get the tumor removed from my colon. Uh, what can I do to get stronger? I said, there's a lot you can do to get stronger because you know, she was feeling very weak and depleted, uh, having this peach-sized tumor in her colon that had been growing for years. I said, I asked her, I said, you know, she said, I'm you know, concerned, you know, I mean, I got this cancer, you know, has it spread? Am I going to die? I said, I asked her a question. I said, who else, if you get better, if you feel stronger, you get this tumor removed, you have better health and you feel stronger, more vital, more resilient. Who else will benefit other than you? She said, my granddaughter. My granddaughter's four, and I want to be there as she grows up. And that, for her, was a powerful reason to live. And so when it came for me making recommendations, dietary changes, taking these particular nutritional and herbal supplements, um, doing steps to you know, things that she had to change, in her diet, her lifestyle, starting to exercise, taking her supplements, all these things. She got motivation to do that because it wasn't just about her. It was, it was, she was doing it for her granddaughter as well. And so that gave her all the motivation she needed to make those difficult changes. 
uh, you know, people changing their diet. That's not something they necessarily like to do. Uh, and taking their supplements, it's inconvenient at first. Um, they're not used to it. You know, swallowing the pills and taking the liquids and doing their thing. Doing all these things to make themselves stronger and better and healthier and more bio-resilient. Uh, takes motivation. And, and, I, and, they, and they, people, all of us can draw motivation for doing these things if we realize who else we're doing it for. So those three things of practitioners attending to their own work, you know, doctor, heal thyself, uh, do your own inner work, walk the talk, uh, uh, do as I do, be an example, uh, get your own house in order, you know, work on your own emotional, spiritual work, face what you need to face. So you come to a place of greater power and purpose in yourself. That's number one. Number two, giving people a sense of hope, a possibility. That's that, that the future can be a better future, unlike the past. That they can turn around that downward trend and go in an upward direction. That things never stay the same. They either get better or worse. And that the changes they make today can create a future which is better than yesterday. And finally, um, activating our, our capacity to serve, our innate desire to serve, to, to, to be a benefit to someone else, not just us. Um, uh, these, these are really practical things that work in the healing relationship and that, that get people to, to be open to possibility and to really make those changes that create you know, breakthroughs and expansion in their lives. I hear you. Um, can you talk about how, if at all, you're using either um, working with groups and or technology to leverage your impact and help to keep the cost down while you maintain the level of contribution you want to make with the people that you're currently serving? Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, good question, David. I, I, the, you know, the technology has been a wonderful, and the internet is, is, you know, as long as it remains free and neutral, uh, is is a wonderful, uh, incredible tool for uh, for reaching a lot of people. Um, as Seth Godin says, you know, we all own a media company now. <laughs> we have you know, we have all these tools like podcasts and wonderful things that you're doing. Um, so, yeah, I find that. Things as simple as you know, emailing patients, you know, PDFs of documents that they can read, um, and and you know, more recently, the past three years, uh, working on uh, a video education platform for practitioners and patients um, that is um, uh, that is uh, very. Um, yeah, that's the expert nutrition advisor is something I've been working on for three years to educate practitioners in how to help patients better and expand the way they use nutrition to help patients. And there's also a patient education platform that practitioners can use to save time, use the precious time they have in their clinic more efficiently, and use video to educate their patients about how to take care of themselves and the whole philosophy of holistic health care. Uh, so from that to um, to using uh, you know, video conferencing to do a phone consult with a patient through Skype video, um, using electronic delivery of things instead of paper, um, using uh, social media to share ideas uh, that I know you do you know almost every day. It's wonderful um, sharing ideas through social media to reach people, make it easy for them to share what you share with them. 
these are you know some real wonderful tools. Uh, and then in my mentoring program, you know, we use teleconferencing and online you know, delivery of, of education, uh, distance learning materials, recordings, video, audio. Uh, there's so many ways that that we can use to reach people now, which have never existed before, which uh, makes a lot of clutter. In, in a person, all the things that call for our attention, but it also is a great opportunity um, for, uh, for, for sharing. So I think everything from you know, audio and video recordings, printed materials, social media, uh, distance learning, online video, there's so many tools uh, that are available to us. And, and I think you know, it can get overwhelming, but I think starting with one thing and then building that out, going to the next thing that attracts you. Um, I think there's a lot of wonderful ways that practitioners and patients uh, can interact very successfully and very inexpensively um, that, uh, that are really profound. I agree. And I think the conscious creation of community mm-hmm. is really important because whenever you're wanting to support behavioral change, yes. we're social creatures. And yes. Uh, usually there's one person in a group or one person in a family that is going first in that group. And uh, it can be very important when you're midwifing that kind of behavioral change to be able to plug that person in to kind of a parallel universe of two people with different values and different standards and practices. And one of the things I'm experimenting with more, and I know that some other clinicians are experimenting with more, especially with things that involve pretty significant behavioral change, like changing how people are eating, mm. like when it comes to maybe a detoxification program, is doing that in a group. Yep. And I think there are a lot of benefits to that, especially when it's in conjunction with um, individualized evaluations. And I think that's a growing trend as well. Yes, it sure is. Yeah, I, when I was in practice full time, uh, every year we do a group cleanse and we do it together with the patients, and we sit together once a week or whoever wanted to show up and and support each other in making those changes. So I'd like to segue the conversation again to another kind of uh, mood, if that's okay. Please. <clears throat> I'd like you to put on your clinician's hat here. Sure. And. Uh, You know, I'd like to talk about some things that even though a lot of my listeners are pretty sophisticated in a lot of areas of healthcare and health and well-being, there's some areas where I think there are a lot of blind spots that I'd like to take advantage of you being here and have you speak to them. Sure. So the first one I'd like to open up the floor for you to say whatever you want to say about it is the limitations and even dangers of the long-term use of synthetic vitamins. Sure. Yeah, good one, David. And and just defining the term, I think, is important because uh, most, you know, if you read uh, blog articles and magazine articles and news shows and this and that, people use the term vitamin without being very specific about the fact that there are different types of vitamins that are utterly different and should really be called by different things. 
And so in general, we have what you're referring to are synthetic vitamins as easily 95 plus percent of the supplement, nutritional supplements that people take are synthetic vitamins that are isolated chemical extracts made uh, out of corn, uh, often GMO, corn, coal tar, or petroleum. They're made by the same six drug companies that make all the world's vitamins um, uh, from Sanofi and Ventus Pasteur and Roche. Uh, these huge uh, pharmaceutical companies make these synthetic chemicals much in the same way they make pharmaceutical drugs and uh, sell these um, uh, isolates, these isolated chemical uh, isolates to very, you know, thousands of vitamin companies that will you know, combine them together into a vitamin formula that people take. And so this is what we might call a pharmacological approach to nutrition. A, uh, and a drug, broadly defined, is any synthetic isolated chemical that forces changes in physiology uh, or in how the body works for the purpose of managing a disease or a symptom. And the two types of drugs one are the pharmaceutical drugs, and in the U.S., uh, we have 5% of the world's population consuming 40 to 50% of the world's pharmaceutical drugs. The second type of drugs are nutraceutical drugs, which are these synthetic vitamins you're talking about, chemical isolates, uh, which have a drug-like effect on the body that are sold as supplements, either through a store or a practitioner or multi-level or online or whatever it is. And... The word vitamin is used to, to describe these things, but also the second type of, of supplement is a, a food concentrate. Concentrated foods or food and plant-based supplements, which, in, which, I, which usually just concentrate by removing the water and fiber, concentrate a food to a therapeutic potency. So for example, um, you can go to the store and get a vitamin C pill, which is synthetic ascorbic acid made from corn or petroleum. Or you can get a food concentrate which contains the whole vitamin C complex, which is made of raw mushroom and buckwheat, for example, among other things. Um, so the term vitamin is could be referring to a natural vitamin, which is food and plant-based, or a synthetic vitamin, which is generally corn, petroleum, or coal-based. And so they're quite different in the body molecularly. Their effects on the body are quite different. Uh, the food concentrates will have a nutritional effect. The synthetic isolates will have a, a drug-like or pharmacological effect. Now, what those effects are, the dangers of that, is that these synthetic vitamins will have an imbalanced effect on how the body works, on our physiology. So like any drug, it will force changes and mandate change in the body in a very narrow way and cause adverse effects in other areas. Um, so this is um, uh, very uh, significant. You know, for example, a person can take uh, a fractionated or synthetic vitamin E, which since the 1940s uh, means alpha-scopherol. Before the 1940s, vitamin E was wheat germ oil and was known as the anti-sterility factor because it promoted reproductive health in men and women. But these days, since the 1940s, um, vitamin E is alpha-coferol, uh, or mixed-coferols even. And these are 
antioxidants that protect the whole nutrient complex found in whole foods, uh, like wheat germ, like uh, green, the green leaf of various plants, having the whole vitamin E complex, like pea vine, uh, like uh, you know, these different foods. So alpha-tocopherol is a drug uh, sold as a vitamin E supplement, which may force changes to happen in the body, which may appear to be beneficial, but we know that these supplements in many people will increase their risk of cancer, of stroke, of heart disease, um, and, and have these adverse effects because it is a synthetic isolate. Beta-carotene is a synthetic precursor to vitamin A, uh, which can also contribute to an increased risk. It definitely increases the risk of cancer. Um, and so, it may, and this is usually based in this antioxidant myth of using large doses of synthetic isolated chemicals to scavenge free radicals or singlet oxygen in the body to prevent bad things from happening. And this is where we see this high dose vitamin E, high dose vitamin E, synthetic E, synthetic C, synthetic A, uh, synthetic beta carotene used based on this flawed, disproven theory of uh, antioxidant nutrition, of using chemicals to scavenge free radicals, hopefully something good will happen. And so the main danger there, David, of using these synthetic vitamins, which most of them are, are, are antioxidant supplements, synthetic isolates, not plants, um, it, the, the danger is that you're interfering with oxidation which is a, a very basic, essential, necessary, healthy, physiological process. You, you can't detoxify without oxidation. You can't kill, infect, kill bacteria, infections. You can't get, you know, phagocytosis or killing, uh, eating up bad bacteria, for example, is an oxidative process. Detoxification involves oxidation. Uh, preventing cancer through programmed cell death that we call apoptosis is an oxidative process. So you take synthetic antioxidants and synthetic vitamins, you're interfering with detoxification, immune function, clearing infections, and preventing cancer. Uh, and so that's why we see so much evidence now, like irrefutable evidence, hundreds of studies now, confirming the damage of these synthetic antioxidant and synthetic vitamins. So that's um, you know, a very important area. Glad you brought it up. Thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate that. Um, are you ready for the next topic? Sure, do it. Uh, let's talk about the dangers of hormone replacement therapy, even what people call bioidentical, which is not bioidentical. <laughs> right. Good one. Sure, sure. Happy to. Uh, yeah, I just um, the seminar I just taught in Nashville was on the endocrine system. Uh, the hormonal uh, system and how to help people with this. This is one of the topics we just talked about yesterday uh, in Nashville with these, uh, these, these issues with uh, synthetic um, uh, hormones. So um, the basic theme here uh, is that the endocrine or hormonal system is a web uh, where everything affects everything else. And there's nothing, there's no part of your hormonal system that doesn't affect some other part of the hormonal system in some way. 
directly or indirectly. So that means when you give single isolated hormones in a uh, isolated, that would be the bioidentical so-called uh, bioidentical form, which just means plant extracted um, things that are similar, but not the same to the hormones the body makes. Or if you do the even more common thing of taking a synthetic hormone, like um, synthetic thyroid hormone, T4, synthetic estrogen, um, synthetic testosterone is a popular one with men these days. Um, these always, without exception, have adverse effects on other parts of the body and other parts of the hormonal system because there is no such thing as an isolated hormone that acts on its own without any relationship to other hormones. So, for example, um, taking uh, synthetic estrogen, uh, whether that's um, a, a drug, uh, say estrace, or a quote, so-called bioidentical hormone, which is a plant extracted chemical hormone, which interacts with those estrogen receptor sites, um, increases, and estrogen itself has very complex actions. Uh, and we know from the published research, just to quote the American Heart Journal, uh, estrogen has complex actions, includes the risk of endometrial cancer, breast cancer, gallstones. Um, we know that taking these isolated estrogens definitely increases breast cancer. We know that for sure. Um, it's irrefutable. And, and so the two ways to, to address this, one is what, what you mentioned, these uh, hormone replacement drugs, which always wreak havoc and always have adverse effects on the hormonal system and other organs. Um, that's approach number one. The approach number two, which I know you and I are, are, are fans of, is to actually help the body balance its own hormones better itself. In other words, help the body do its own thing better. Help the body make its own hormones that it knows how to make better than it has before. Most people have some degree of endocrine or hormonal depression or insufficiency, whether it's low thyroid, low adrenal, low testosterone, low progesterone. These are the most common glandular problems. And the good news is you don't have to just add hormones. That would be reductionism um, instead of holism. The reductionist approach is, well, you've got low testosterone. Let me just give you some androgel, transdermal testosterone, synthetic testosterone, and sort you out. Uh, there's another approach, which is to support the body's own endocrine system, help the body make its own hormones itself, using diet, lifestyle, food and plant-based formulas, herbal medicine, to help the body work better. So it'll produce its own hormones better than it did before in always a balanced, accurate way that is entirely safe, unlike any uh, hormone replacement. Right. Absolutely. And uh, of course, there's, there is a place for hormone replacement therapy. Absolutely. If the, if the gland 
has been destroyed sure or some other possible situations but it's certainly oh, yeah. in most cases i think is counterproductive as a first step yeah. yeah nature first drugs last there's a place for drugs i'm not down on drugs not down on conventional medicine there's a place for that um as a last resort um when you know or if it's a very severe situation and uh and i did want to just say but before we go on that um you know, the, the, if you had to pull back and look at the main problem we're seeing today in healthcare, it's that we're trying to use a medical system which is geared towards crisis-based intervention, handling emergencies, dealing with trauma, uh, life-saving intervention. That's what our medical system is geared towards, and it's really good at. We're trying to use that system, which is good at that. We're trying to use that system for chronic illness and preventative care, and it doesn't work. You can't use um, a, a, a system based on wellness and prevention and early treatment to do crisis care, and you can't use a crisis-based system to keep people well and do you know and to prevent illness, better to prevent and treat. So this is a classic example of that in this hormone area. Great. Are you ready for the next one? Yeah, you bet. Okay, so it's starting to get popular over the last year or so to talk about the connection between the importance of getting a good night's sleep and yeah. overall health, yes. um, weight loss, fat loss, well-being in general. Um, I just want to open it up to, for you to talk about your clinical approach when someone is coming to you and you do your history and you find out that the person either is having qualitative or quantitative issues with sleep. Uh, yep. How do you approach that issue? And um, well, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, great question, David. Thank you. This is a big deal. And I'm glad you brought it up because uh, the sleep area has gotten attention partly for two reasons. One is... Uh, a sleep deficit is now a formally recognized risk factor for cardiovascular disease, uh, for diabetes, metabolic syndrome, uh, and many other conditions. The second reason is that sleep medications, all, I mean, this, this rocked the world of medicine for the few who were aware of it. We now know that taking sleep medications your, your drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, to help you sleep in regularly, even, even twice a week, increases your cancer risk fivefold. So you have a 500% increase in getting cancer if you take sleep medications regularly. And so that made this whole sleep thing come to the fore. And so what do you do about that? Number one, obviously go for drug-free. Try to find other ways, and there are plenty of ways, to sleep better without drugs if you're taking drugs to sleep. Your Lunesta or your, you know, whatever uh, drugs you're using to, to sleep. Um, so how do you do that? Number one is you have a regular sleep pattern, uh, which usually involves preparing for sleep well. And the body works great on a rhythm, so if possible, have more or less regular times 
in the evening where you start to dim the lights, wind down, no screens, no computer, no TV, maybe an hour before sleep. And start to dim the lights in the house, start to go into a quieter cycle, prepare for sleep, and try to have a roughly regular sleep time. The body does great with rhythm. We know this in children, it's also true in adults. Um, and so have a regular pattern. You get ready for bed and wash up and get changed and do something in the evening, and, and that's in preparing for sleep time, which is 30 to 60 minutes. Um, to prepare for sleep, where what I like to do is review the day in my mind, uh, see where I was on, see where I was off, give blessings for the things that were, you know, all of it, eventually bless it all, and then let it go. Release the day, let it go, so that you can kind of enter fully into sleep and not use your sleep time to process the day. Um, so that's a very practical thing to do. No stimulants, sugar, caffeine, screens, media, um, before the, before sleep, um, and reading, particularly if something of an inspirational nature, uh, not like a Stephen King horror novel, but something, you know, of a, either a, a, an innocuous novel or some inspirational reading. Uh, reading really helps because it focuses the mind on one thing, and that helps the mind go into sleep. Uh, some type of meditation, uh, breathing slowly, for five minutes. This is the simplest form of meditation. Um, count, you know, seven breaths per minute. Breathe that way for five minutes and you're done. You know, very simple types of meditation um, even can be very helpful. So preparing well for sleep. Uh, and then um, improving the quality and depth of sleep. Uh, make sure the room is quiet. Use earplugs if you need to, like what I did when I lived in New York City. Um, Use an eye mask if it's not dark. The room needs to be dark and quiet. Uh, that has to do with melatonin production and optimal sleep cycles, deep sleep cycles. Um, so make sure the room is dark and quiet. Earplugs and eye mask if you need to. Blackout shades, whatever it takes. Uh, and then, certainly, there's a variety of natural medicine uh, that can be very helpful to improve the depth and quality of sleep. Um, I don't know if you want me to get into, like, formulas, but... Um, I'm happy to, but the, you know, the, there is a, a variety of natural plant and food-based formulas that can also improve sleep. Okay. Well, let's do, if you're game, let's do one more. Yeah. Um, I know it's one of your topics you're most passionate about, and I think it, it engenders a very strong emotional reactions in people for a wide variety of reasons. Yes. Maybe you can bring some sanity to this conversation. Um, let's talk about what the challenges are with the current vaccination practices in the United States. Sure. Yeah. So um, the uh, rise in vaccination practices, and when I was born in 69, I got the full boat of vaccines, which I think was about 10. And now we're up to 68 uh, by age six. And uh, we vaccinate much more than any other nation. Uh, the average European nation gives 11 vaccines uh, up to a certain age. We give um, 36 to 38 shots delivering these 68 doses. Um, and so it's far more than any other nation. And we have no improvements in health outcomes as a result. 
In fact, we have the worst health outcomes of any advanced nation. And so the vaccines are being sold, promoted, as a public health measure, that if you vaccinate yourself, you're doing the right thing for the society because you're going to protect other people. This is a lie. It's the lie of herd immunity through vaccination. Um, the other part of that lie is if you don't vaccinate, you're endangering other people. This is an absolute lie with no, not a single shred of evidence to support it. There is no herd immunity from vaccinations, only from naturally acquired infections, wild infections, naturally acquired. Uh, vaccines provide waning immunity and in short, uh, do much more harm than good. And so uh, that's the independent science. Now, the thing we need to identify, David, is there's two types of science. There's junk science, manipulated, faked, bogus science, what back in the day we called tobacco science, where the medical establishment promoted cigarette smoking for decades as not only safe but beneficial, and they said they had all the science to prove it. Today's junk science is vaccine science, so it's what I call CDC science, the faked, manipulated, bogus science, uh, which is uh, manipulated to make vaccines look safe and effective when they're neither. Um, if vaccines were safe, we wouldn't have, the U.S. taxpayers would not have paid out three and a half billion dollars in settlements to vaccine injured families. Um, so that you know, if they were so safe, you wouldn't have to provide the drug companies with product liability from damage done by their products. You wouldn't have to force people to take them uh, the way that's being done now if they were really that safe and effective. So we know from the epidemiology, we look at other countries that vaccinate less, they vaccinate later, they vaccinate just let they have better health outcomes. They have no increase in infectious disease. They have healthier children. We have the most, the highest infant mortality in the world. We rank last, 50th in infant mortality of the top 50 developed countries. We rank last among developed nations or as best as 37th in health outcomes. Um, and we're vaccinating triple, at least triple, of any other developed nation uh, or most other developed nations. So the independent science, that's the second type of science, is the credible, independent, reproducible, non-drug company influence, non-CDC science. Uh, and there's tons of this, hundreds of studies, hundreds of studies from reputable scientists, not bogus CDC science, not drug company bogus science. But the credible independent science is telling us over and over again that the vaccines do much more harm than they do good. And, uh, and so this whole hysteria fueled by the media, the media is trying to divide the country uh, and people hating each other over this issue. Uh, and everyone's being lied to. The vaccines are safe and effective, but you have to do it to be a good citizen. And these vaccines are entirely unsafe. Even the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, confirmed in a Supreme Court decision dozens of times in this decision that vaccines are unavoidably unsafe products. Uh, and so, you know, we have to uh, keep this in mind that, you know, these, these, these are not safe. Uh, they have not eliminated any epidemics. The epidemics went away before the vaccines were introduced. 
There's no vaccine that's eliminated, eliminated or prevented any epidemic at any time in history. It was improvements in sanitation, in hygiene, in nutrition, in living and working conditions. These are the things that eliminated the epidemics, not vaccines. And there's a lot of resistance, David, to looking at the truth about this because the implications are horrifying. That the government is promoting the drug company agenda and forcing unlimited vaccinations on the entire population without any choice, destroying informed consent, destroying healthcare freedom of choice to promote the vaccine agenda. There's 300 new vaccines in the pipeline. And if we lose our health freedoms over this, we are, in, we are going to destroy the entire population's health and well-being, even more than we have already, with 30,000 reported adverse reactions to vaccines per year. And FDA confirms only 1% to 10% are even reported. And we're getting 30,000 a year reported, some years even more. These adverse reactions are completely ignored, which is untrue of any other class of drugs. So these assumptions that vaccines are safe, effective, and necessary are not based on any credible independent reproducible science is based on junk science, bogus manipulated evidence uh, that the government uses at the behest of the drug companies that it serves to promote this hor horrifying uh, vaccine agenda. We're actually destroying our future. The projections are that one in two children in America will be autistic within 10 years at the current trend. Uh, we're, we're destroying our future by poisoning our children. Um, uh, to serve financial, at the very least, the financial interests of these uh, drug companies that make money on the vaccines. But more importantly, it's a gateway drug that creates the need for other drugs because we know vaccines cause autoimmune disease. They cause type 1 diabetes. They cause autism. They cause all these developmental disorders. They cause seizure disorder. They cause all these neurological damage. There's drugs for all those conditions. And so the secondary market, the vaccines cause damage that then you need lifetime drugs for. The drug companies know that. They've known this for decades. Um, and the government is only serving the interests of the drug companies, at least on this one. Well, I think that I do not want to end on this note because... Sure, sure. Because what the listener is likely to be left with is, well, okay, if I don't vaccinate my children, how do I keep them safe? What can be done to support their well-being, to support their immune system? And yes. we don't have a lot of time left, but if you sure. maybe list maybe three to five simple, inexpensive uh, action steps that a parent yeah. could take to actually promote the level of wellness and balance yes. in their children, I yes. think that would be helpful. Yes, and, and I, I don't want to be clear, David. Yes, both my kids are unvaccinated. They're going to stay that way. And But my, my, my position on public health policy is pro-choice. People should have a choice. I'm a big fan of informed consent. It's the central tenet of medical ethics, of healthcare freedom of choice. If people want to vaccinate a redhead, but they should not have that right taken away from them. I'm pro-choice more so than I am even anti-vaccine. I'm anti-vaccine for sure because of, because of the independent science. But people should have a choice. And people need to stand up and take a stand 
on preserving that informed consent, that right to choose, that parental uh, choice, because it's, it's trying to be taken away from them. So what can people do? Uh, parents should know, number one, that the, the data that we do have tells us that vaccinated kids are sicker than unvaccinated kids across the board. So if your kid's unvaccinated, uh, according to the data, they're going to be healthier, stronger, more vital than the, than, the, than the vaccinated kids. We know that in the data. Number two, uh, pay attention to very simple things. Is the child getting outside to play every day? All kinds of weather, bundle them up, throw them outside, let them play outside. Uh, get lots of physical activity, unstructured play. Number two, uh, pay attention to the diet. A low sugar diet, which has plenty of vegetables, fruits, proteins, healthy protein, healthy fats, is critical. A low grain, low sugar, um, high good protein, high good fat, high in vegetables, some fruits, is critical to immunity because uh, vaccines do not produce a stronger immune system. They stimulate antibody production, and those are two different things. Uh, vaccination is not immunization. Those are two different things. There's a book of that title, which I would recommend from Dr. O'Shea. Um, and the, uh, the next thing to, to, to pay attention to uh, is, so you have, you have exercise, you have diet, uh, and then we have uh, to, to try to minimize screen exposure. Uh, all the neuroscience tells us that children should not be exposed to screens, te television, movies, video games, until puberty, uh, until ages 12 to 14. Uh, so keeping kids away from screens, uh, having them engage with the natural world, stay physically active, um, those are simple things that can make a huge difference. That's great, Michael. You know, as we move toward wrapping this up and I'm uh, just being with myself here, being with you in this conversation, my, my mind goes back to Bucky Fuller. And yeah. um, when he was a young man, he almost killed himself. Mm. And um, in fact, he had gotten his affairs in order. He had his insurance set up for his family and his wife huh. and his kids. Huh. And um, it's like there was some divine intervention. There was like yeah. a an angel wow. or something. And Didn't he, know that. he decided at the last minute that since he was going to kill himself anyway, he would choose to live and dedicate his life as an experiment to see what one regular person could do if they dedicated themselves to making a difference and uplifting mm. all of humanity. Mm. And he did that. Mm. And uh, as I'm here being with myself, getting ready to wrap up this conversation, yeah, I wanted to share that with you because of what you shared about your own personal journey. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to thank you for, choosing to stay in a physical body on planet earth <laughs> and to um to to commit yourself to being an uplifter and uh i really appreciate you taking the time and the thoughtfulness to be with me and the listeners today and i want to turn it over to you for two final things one is to say anything you'd like to say in closing and number two to give out your contact information one more time so that people who'd like to make contact with you or learn more about your work can do that. 
Sure. Thank you, David. And uh, on the vaccine topic, uh, if any of your listeners value healthcare freedom of choice, uh, informed consent, if they don't want to have unlimited vaccines forced on themselves as adults and their children, NVICadvocacy.org, NV, uh, National Vaccine Information Center, NVIC, advocacy, A-D-V-O-C-A-C-Y.org. And uh, you'll, it's a free private service. They'll let you know what's going on in your state, exactly what to do about it, who to contact, how to make your voice heard, and take a stand, not against vaccines, but for choice. So for folks who want, uh, or uh, public or, the, or practitioners who want to uh, use my work to improve their uh, well-being, their vitality, their patient care, um, michaelgata.com is a good place to go. Uh, michaelgata.com is sort of the central place and um, and to and we I do have a, a two events coming up this year that will be available to the public on vaccines that'll be available through the internet via live stream. Uh, so that'll be uh, May 30th and uh, September 11th, 2015. Uh, but that's where you can contact me, um, and that's for uh, patient care, practitioner training, live events, my mentoring program. I've got a a, a library of free information on that website on health and nutrition and well-being, vitality, articles, recordings, all kinds of free resources for practitioners and patients. Um, and so that's uh, you know, certainly uh, available to people who are interested. Great. Is there anything you'd like to say else you'd like to say to the listeners in closing? Yeah. Well, appreciation to you, David. Uh, and for, for all of us, my I would say to your listeners that my my deepest prayer for you is that you open to the largeness of who you are, to the greatness of your purpose in living, and the enormity of your power to create. Thank you again, Michael. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and this has been another episode in Freeing the Body Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And today we've been speaking with Dr. Michael Gaeta. And uh, I know I'm not the only one who appreciates his uh, knowledge and his thoughtfulness and compassion. So thank you again, Michael. And we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Dr. David here again. Hope you enjoyed that conversation between myself and Michael Gaida. I was really struck by Michael's humility, his courage, his commitment, and his dedication to leveraging his impact in a very intelligent way by his decision to go into full-time teaching and part-time practice. He, he feels he can reach more people through empowering health professionals as well as having a small private practice. We all have these important decisions to make and there's no right answer, there's no wrong answer. It's just a matter of feeling into your heart and that which resonates with your joy and that which seems to uplift others the most. So once again, this is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and I'm very grateful for your support of my work and of this, pod this podcast series, Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. 
And if you've gotten a lot of value out of it, I encourage you to share it with others and go over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating and a heartfelt review. So until next time, this is Dr. David, and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.